So today is living and dying. In chapter 11, I'm not going to go through everything, but I encourage you to read it this week. Maybe take some notes, copy down some of the ideas that are on the PowerPoint, and read this. Because you are called to live by faith, and so am I, and this describes the kind of faith that we're supposed to live by. So let me read uh, 1 to 3, and we'll, we'll start moving into this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And the ancients, as you read, are different people from the Old Testament that lived by faith. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So this passage begins by explaining the nature and quality of true faith. He is defining faith here in relation to a particular situation in which the congregation, these Hebrews, these people, found themselves in. And what it was, was the temptation to give up. There was great persecution by the Roman authorities. And so they're like, let's give up our faith so that we can live peacefully and have a nice little existence for the rest of our years on earth. Don't have to go to jail, don't have to have our possessions confiscated, don't have to be chased. (laughs) You know, we can just live peacefully. And he's saying, no, you are people of faith. That's what you're going to do. You have faith in Jesus. You believe, you keep going. And then in chapter 10, verse 39, he says, people, Broadway, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith, we believe, and we're saved. So this is the context here. People were wanting to give up their faith in Jesus so they could actually live nicely. They wanted to live nicely on earth, and they couldn't have both. So they decided to die to their own earthly interests. The ancients and the the writer is writing the Hebrew people to live like this. You die to your earthly interests, and by doing that, you will really live living and dying. So this is the kind of faith. A faith that believes the immediate and the temporary and the seen is not the best way to know if something is right or worthwhile pursuing. That's what he's getting at. You need to pursue things that you can't see. He's talking about a faith that's under pressure, about faith that's against all odds. It's about a faith when life is absolutely horrible and when faith makes absolutely no categorical sense. It's utter nonsense. Not just a faith that believes in some facts about Jesus, but a faith that believes in spite of some horrendous facts about their life. They don't give it up. Their own life, their own real-world experience says we should give this up. These are horrendous facts of my life. And the writer says, no, let's look at the real facts of God, our Creator. I could pan this room and list real facts about your life that are absolutely horrible, absolutely horrendous. And you are here this morning. Because you have this kind of faith that the writer is talking about. You have faith in spite of horrible facts that have gone on. Illness, sickness, death. You can all write something down about your life. 
that you wish wasn't there? That's who he's writing this to. And we are not of those who shrink back, people, and are destroyed. We keep going. It is a faith about a certain future and a certain kind of future. And as you read, and I won't read the whole thing, we don't have time, but as you read chapter 11, you'll see these facts about their life that gave them reason to give up. There's reasons listed for them not to have faith. And you can, ha- you can list reasons in your own life not to have faith. Perhaps you've had someone tell you after something horrible has happened, like, how can you believe in God anymore? Those horrible things are happening. How can you? Well, this is why. It's real faith. It's a different kind of faith. Here's some of the facts. I'll just give you a brief synopsis of some of the things these people went through. Suffering, mockery, disgrace, torture, flogging, death by being sawed in two, pelted by rocks, destitute, homeless, persecuted, and mistreated, promises seemingly not fulfilled. And he says, this is the kind of faith these people had. And they didn't have the deposit of the Holy Spirit to keep them going, which we have. So living and dying, and the point is to live, you have to die first. We'll look into that a bit. So the, so the ask from Scripture today for you, it's not an ask from me, I believe it's an ask from the Holy Spirit through this Scripture. He's asking you and me today to die so we can really live. Die to how we think life is supposed to be. Die to have life working out exactly how you planned at your career day in school. Die to having all of life about you and your fulfillment. Doesn't mean your heart's desire aren't important and will not happen. But Jesus calls us to not live for them, but to give them to him. It's a hard ask. But that's what the scripture is about. We want to be a church, a people that does not shrink back, but moves forward in spite of pressures. John the Baptist would tell us this morning if he was here, he was one that was beheaded, by the way, if you know the story. He said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I become less. That's faith. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So briefly on verses 1 to 3. Faith that accepts God's word. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It's a faith that anticipates the future. It does not place its reliance on what is merely visible to our physical sight. It's the assurance of things hoped for. The faithful characters arrayed in chapter 11 did not simply live for the passing moment. They realized there was far more to life than the immediate and the temporary scene. Life was a pilgrimage. They knew that there were better things ahead of them because in some way or another, they knew God told them and they believed and they went with it. And they believed they would rather believe in the word of God than the goals and the strategies and the words of the world around them. Secondly, this kind of faith evaluates the present as well. We don't neglect what's going on here on earth. It would be wrong to imagine that the believer has no interest whatsoever in actual life. In fact, the Christian should look far more closely at the immediate scene than the unbeliever. 
The person without any clear faith often accepts things simply as they are. But God gives old men, young men, women, men, dreams and vision. And so we move by faith. We don't just take things the way they are. I had an ar- not an argument, wasn't an argument. I had a nice conversation <laughs> with a friend who's not a believer. And he was kind of railing on the church a bit, and uh, we just got talking about drug addiction issues in Chilliwack. And he said, who's looking after drug addiction in Chilliwack? Is your humanist society helping out? Is your atheist association helping out? He was silent. Guess who's helping out? He said, we have couples from our church that work full-time with helping people get off of drugs and recovery. We have people from our church that volunteer at Ruth and Naomi's and volunteer at Salvation Army and volunteer at Teen Challenge. We care about what's going on here. As we move into the ministry in our contemporary life by faith. So we have a conviction of things not seen. We anticipate the future and we evaluate the present. Number two is verse two here. Faith that's living is faith that receives God's commendation. I'm going to talk briefly on this. Um, But this is it. Well done. Good and faithful servant. The follower of Jesus does not set their heart on gaining human approval. That can be dangerous. Well done, good and faithful servant. Some of you were at Jake Clawson's funeral yesterday. hearing stories from his four kids and his eight grandchildren, 14 grandchildren, and all I could do to try to follow it up was speak to Jake, and I don't believe in talking to the dead, so don't get me wrong. But I said, well done, Jake. (laughs) Well done. Number three, faith recognizes God's power. Only by faith can we accept the astonishing statement that the visible came from the invisible. There was once nothing in this universe. (laughs) The universe universe was made from nothing, creation out of nothing. Creation ex nihilo was the fancy term. You know, you and I, we we need material to create something. We can't make something out of nothing, but God did. The universe had a beginning. Space, time, energy, material all had a beginning, and God made it. That's the faith that is commended here. Now to Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16. Here's the main passage I want to hone in on today. I'm going to read, we're going to read um, 13 to 16. Read along with me if you like in your Bible. All these people... Again, there's Noah, Abraham, and a few others. We're still living by faith when they died, living and dying. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. For if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would never have had opportunity. They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
So number four about what faith, living faith is. Faith, a living faith is a faith that says there is more. One of my sons has a tattoo that says there is more. It's not a bad idea because this is uh, just one life and there is more in the next. There is more. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Oh, how we just, oh, I didn't get what I prayed for this week. God must not like me. God is faithless to me. No. They did not receive the things promised. Because the promise isn't all about this life, people. They only saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They're looking at the next life where the promises really come to fruition. So to the end of their days, they were nomads, Bedouins, as we heard, never living in a settled life in a settled land. They had to be constantly moving. But great permanent truths emerged from their wandering. They lived as, there's a bit of an oxymoron here, a permanent stranger. He's, so the writer says you're strangers and foreigners. Some translations say aliens. They were regarded with hatred and suspicion and contempt, maybe much like the Christian community is regarded in some parts of North America and around the world. All their lives, they were living in a land that was never their own. It was not the promise. Faith, a living faith says there is more. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We are pilgrims of eternity. Man, that sounds like a childbirth. Well, that's pretty good. In spite of everything, these followers of God never lost their vision and their hope. However long that hope might be in coming true, its light always shone in their eyes. However long the way might be, they never stopped tramping along. They didn't give up. Wow, that's powerful. Would you mind closing the doors? I, I just have trouble concentrating. Thanks. Because these people were who they were, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Above all, he is the God of the brave adventurer. He loves the person who is ready to venture for his name. The prudent, comfort-loving individual is the very opposite. One that goes into the unknown and keeps going will, in the end, arrive at God. That's what the ancients were commended for. Number five, verses 15 and 16, a living faith is a faith that does not turn back. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. In spite of everything, they never wanted to go back. Their descendants, when they were in the desert, wanted to go back. They often expressed a wish to go back to the to the world of Egypt, but not these guys. They waited. They waited. They had hope. God would make it happen. You know, and the problem for us many times is that God does not do all that he promised at once. So we read a promise, a principle, and we go, okay, this is mine today. 
That's not, that, that's not faith according to what this is about. We easily fall victim to unbelief and cry out like the Israelites, is the Lord even with us? <laughs> have you said that? I have. But we keep going with each other. We're not people who shrink back and are destroyed. Some of the statements they make to Moses are quite humorous, actually. Did we leave Egypt because there wasn't enough graves there? <laughs> There's more graves out in the desert. That's kind of funny. Nice, sarcastic way to say, Moses, you don't know what you're doing. What's up? It would have been better to be slaves in Egypt than to die in the desert. So the unbelief, as we read in the passage of the, the story of the Exodus, is complaining and grumbling, and, and that's the story of God's promises. We complain and grumble along as we go, but not the ancients. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Number six, a living faith is a faith that knows how to wait. What are you waiting for today? Israel was chosen from all the nations on the earth to bring fulfillment and witness to the promises and acts of God. Talked about that last week when Abraham was told, look up in the stars, look at the sky, count the stars, trillions of billions of stars. He said, that's your offspring, that's you and I, that's us today. The promise wasn't fulfilled that week. <laughs> The people of Israel were chosen by grace, not because they deserved or were better than other groups. Their sins and failings are described in the Old Testament with painful candor. The focus is on the faithfulness of God and the generational sweep of a God working his plan toward fulfillment beyond the exodus from Egypt to a full redemption in Jesus Christ for all the nations and not just Israel. Israel exists to bless nations. They didn't exist for themselves. God's promises have been kept. In spite of Israel's disobedience, God is faithful. God has given them the land he had promised, but faith knows how to wait. He is awaiting God, so we're awaiting people. It says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came to the earth. Said last week, you know, if we were in charge of how God's story should pan out, sin enters into the garden, and Jesus should come the next week to die for sin. No. It's thousands of years later. In the fullness of time, at the appointed time, Jesus went to the cross, was killed, and rose again. And so today we live in what's called the day of salvation, the day for you and I to make a decision if we're going to die to self and live for Jesus. Peter puts it this way in verse 3, uh, chapter, verse 9 of chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Why would he have to say that? Because we think he is. As some understand slowness, instead he's patient. He's awaiting God, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we're thankful for ministries like Russ and Marge and other people that are from our church that are working in all places, Chilwack included, to bring this salvation message to people. Today is the day for you. He waits. God has kept his promise. The faith described in chapter 11 always strains toward something better. It was never about present circumstances. It was about a future not seen or experienced on earth. We're always straining for something bigger and better. It's just built into us, and the marketeers of every product in the world know this. 
And the writer of Hebrews saying, this is what you live for. You need to anticipate the fulfillment of God's promise. We now have the fuller revelation of Christ. It says these ancients longed for the day to be able to, to, be able to, to see the, the promises, the 300 fulfilled prophecies come to fruition in Jesus. They longed for that day. And it, says there, and it says we're made perfect later on, it's meaning we're made complete because of Christ. So we're in the same river as them, just a different boat. Our boat's a little closer to the finish line than these ancients. We have a little more information. We've seen some promises fulfilled. We still have some more to go, which is the new city. We have more promises. But this life is not the end, and this life is not what your life is to be all about. Know how to wait. We're not at the finish line. There's a better possession, a better existence, a better home, a better city coming for you. Better homes and garden. If you like reading that magazine, read it with a different slant. God's got way better homes and gardens for us. It's coming. Just not on this earth. So our education that we give our young adults and our youth and our children's church and a kids club needs to be about this. Life is, this isn't everything what we have right now. It's not everything. In these passages, we're confronted with both the courageous achievements and the imperfect attainments of these Old Testament heroes. Followers of Jesus today receive some promises and experience some blessings, but people be glad that it isn't, that there's more. <laughs> be glad. So, in conclusion, I'm going to say this every Sunday. Plant a tree whose shade you will never sit under. Hope you thought about that this week, and if you weren't here last week, it's a new saying for you today. And what does it mean? It means live for the future and die to the present. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11. Your time, your treasure, and your talent, you plant those things, knowing maybe you don't see the fruit of it. Other generations did it for me and for you, and we are to do it for future generations. That's why Jen came up last week, and we're going to bring up other ministry leaders. We're going to talk about what we want to do here in planting trees for future generations. And, and, and be blunt how it connects to the budget. Because it takes money, it takes treasure, it takes time, it takes volunteers, it takes talent to plant these trees and keep them alive and keep them going. Generation after generation after generation. When they were in the desert, Moses was told by the Lord, take an omer, which is a, a weight or a certain size, 381 milliliters maybe, and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. Plant a tree whose shade you'll never sit under. This phrase, generations to come, is all over, especially the book of Exodus, over and over again. God is leading his people to a place they actually will not see. God is leading us, leading you to a place you'll never actually see. Are you okay with that? You should be. You better be. 
That's what this kind of faith is about. We don't want just a faith that has some kind of sense that, oh, God loves me, which is true. Jesus died for my sins, that's true. Jesus rose from the dead so I could have life, that's, that's all true. But that has to affect how we live out. And that's what this writer is getting to for us. Generations to come, generations to come. Psalm 45, and Mark will ask you guys to come on up. Psalm 45, 17. I will, this is David speaking, I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. There's a good goal. There's a good dream to go after. Perpetuate the memory of God in all the generations. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's what we're here for, people. We're not just here for ourselves forever and ever. And let me finish with this. Let Scripture speak for itself. Because chapter 11 is true, well, the first 11 chapters are true, but specifically chapter 11, the writer says this. Therefore, because all of this is true, this is what faith is. This is what it means to live for Jesus, what it means to die for yourself, to plant a tree for someone else to sit under. Because that's all true, and we're create, we're, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, people who we can uh, learn from, what should we do about this? Let's throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. It's hard to have this kind of living faith when, when sin's got, you know, is wrapped around us. The desires of this world, the love for this world is wrapped in our hearts. We need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. People, we are not going to be people who shrink back or are destroyed. Amen? We're going forward with the gospel to our kids, our youth, our young adults, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, our great-great-grandkids. That's what we're here for. We're not here for you. It's hard to say, but it's true. You're not here for yourself. Spend your time, your church, and your talents on the next generation. Let's do it. See what God does. Amen.